This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 34 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and on this episode, we are joined by the it girl of the season, 27-year-old Swede Alicia Vikander. She's the talk of the town for her beauty and style, for her rumored relationship with Michael Fassbender, with whom she'll soon be seen in Derek C. and France's The Light Between Oceans, and above all, for her acting in two 2015 films, Ex Machina and The Danish Girl. She was a professional-level ballerina who then almost went to law school before breaking through as an actress in Sweden in the 2009 film Pure. Her rise to international prominence was kickstarted in 2012 with her starring performance in Denmark's entry for the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar, A Royal Affair, and around the same time, her memorable supporting turn in Joe Wright's Anna Karenina. This year, though, she exploded in a very Jessica Chastain-esque kind of way, with seven films in release stateside. Three of them weren't widely seen, Seventh Son, Son of a Gun, and Testament of Youth. Two of them were somewhat disappointing, The Man from Uncle and Burnt, but two of them have put her on the map to stay. The British sci-fi thriller Ex Machina, in which she plays an android with artificial intelligence, and The Danish Girl, in which she plays the early 20th century Danish painter Gerda Wegener, whose husband Einar became one of the first known recipients of sex reassignment surgery. For her performance in the former, she won the Best Supporting Actress LA Film Critics Association Award and was nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Golden Globe and BAFTA Awards. For her performance in the latter, she was nominated for the Best Actress Golden Globe Award, won the Best Supporting Actress Screen Actors Guild and Critics' Choice Awards, and is now nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. By all indications, Vikander is someone who's here to stay, so I encourage you to take the next 50 minutes to learn a little bit about her. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed doing so. Let's go to the conversation. First of all, thank you very much for fitting this in. I know no, you're a busy course. lady right now. <laughs> so before we talk about Danish Girl, I just wanted to kind of go back as we do in every one of these episodes and just recount for people how we got here. And to begin with, did you go to the movies as a kid growing up in Sweden? Was it a big part of your life? Um, yeah, it was, but it was uh, very much of a treat. I remember to go to the movies um, um, so I did that occasionally but I also have a big memory of especially nowadays when you don't see any uh, rental like yes. stores for VHS <laughs> or DVDs yes. um, that was one of these things I remember I had like a little clip card and my mom and I went and you, you could get a good price if you rented like three or five right. movies <laughs> in for one week. And yeah, so that was something that we did very often. And you mentioned your mother. Show business runs in the Vikander family, right? I mean, can you talk about what she does and what you witnessed growing up? Um, well, yeah, my, my, my mom's a stage actress and my dad's a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can get use of both. Right. <laughs> what I'm doing now. Um, um, so so um, um, I when I grew up, um, I spent a lot of time at the theater watching her work. And when we couldn't find a babysitter, I normally came with her quite often, which was, uh, I think... The theater was a very lovely place for a child to be at um, because you were surrounded by 
grown-ups. I remember as a kid, you know, normally you were in a in a room when you maybe went to one of your parents' friends' dinner party and you were treated as a kid. At a, you know, you sat at the kids' table or whatever. Uh, but at the theatre, because of the nature of acting, um, the, the grown-ups actually play. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to be a child there because you were always kind of included. I even have memories of being in the rehearsals and... I was even surprised being just maybe, I don't know, seven or eight, but suddenly they asked me what I thought. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure I was very nervous, but it was that thing that they kind of opened up and included you. And you sort of caught the bug, right? Because from what I've read, as early as six, you wanted to get out there and audition, right? And you did, and you were in front of audiences yourself. Um, yeah, well, it was um, at, at the theater where my mom worked. They had this, uh, I don't really remember this, of course, because I was so young, but it was um, a note that they were going to, not at the, the theater, but at the opera house, they were going to do an audition for children to be part of a musical. And some of the other children of the other actors at the theater was going to go and my mum thought that I was just maybe a bit too young, so she said no. Uh, and then apparently I kind of locked myself up in a room and, <laughs> and screamed until she said, okay, you can go too. Um, and, and then um, I I was one of the kids that was selected, so I did that. I, and that I, was like a three-year thing, right? That's a big Yeah, commitment. I mean, it was, um, it was a Swedish musical, which is probably one of the biggest musicals in, in our country, actually made by the same people who did both chess and Mamma Mia, yeah, yeah, probably maybe the Americans know, but it was about the Swedish immigrants who went to America in in in, uh, in the nineteenth century. Um, so yeah, we we started that, and I was the youngest of all. I think it was four girl parts, and like the the main characters' children, um, and then they uh, did so well, so they continued for another three years, and so I managed to actually grow and. And, and jump and become like the older part right. for each, each year. So how did dance enter the picture? Because it seems like for a lot of your growing up years, it was sort of a back and forth between these. But dance became a very serious part of your life. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was nine when I went to um, the Royal Swedish Ballet School and started it. I mean, it all just began. I, I think I was like three or four when I got went to the Nutcracker for the first time, and my mum thought that after uh, the break between first and second act, I would probably be too tired and wanted to go home. But I think I, I mean, like a four-year-old kid, I, I was most the dancing was one thing, but I think I mostly wanted to wear a pink tutu, <laughs> <laughs> which makes sense. But once you got into the dance stuff, it became so serious that let's just put it in perspective for people that at fifteen you were off living by yourself, right, and going. Hardcore. Um, yeah, because um, the the ballet school does exist both in Stockholm, which is the capital in Sweden, mm-hmm. and the second biggest town, Gothenburg, where I grew up. Um, but the last three years is only in Stockholm, so um, you had to apply. And if you got in, I had of course seen the girls who were the years above me. If if the girls in their classes who got in, they of course had to move. And we, I sometimes now when I see fifteen year old or meet fifteen year old. Um, boys and girls, I was like, wow, I, that's quite young. It really <laughs> to, is. To, to move. But I think, and I've spoke to my mum about it too, but I think because I had seen the older um, classes gone through the same thing, we were kind of prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it was also, uh, it took up, I, I really, I really wanted to go. And then also when you actually went, this, I mean, you spend most of your times at school, really. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I read six days starting 6.30, it got to the point where it's like so physically and mentally demanding that, you know, it must have taken a toll in a way, right? Yeah, I. Uh, it was very long days and many days. <laughs> uh, I, but I remember that it was very important to me, though, when I left because it's, it's, so, it's so easy to just become a part of that world. And I always felt like you need to have perspective. And so I, I, I promised myself when I actually moved up that I was going to try and make friends who were not in the <laughs> ballet world, even right. though I only had that Saturday afternoon and Sunday off, right. really. Um, but I, I managed uh, to do that. And some of the friends that I met then are still my my, my very, very close friends today. So uh, I tried to actually go out and do other things. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and then um, it, it was actually a good thing. I, I became a very... 
Uh, I don't know if they know that at the school, but we were a few people who got friends with a guy who had the keys uh. um, to the school, and we actually had beds in our locker rooms. So sometimes, if we did go out and, and night or stayed up at some friend's house, I actually went and slept for a few hours in my locker room before going <laughs> up to do ballet class. Was dance in any way helpful in terms of preparing you to become an actress? I think I I, I haven't gone to theatre school, so for me that is kind of my my education mm-hmm. and I think that maybe if I had the idea that I was leaving ballet and that was probably the toughest ex- like choice I had done then maybe still even now I don't know because it was so many years and knowing that if you give it up it, it's not really like you can walk back because Why it's such a you? physical um, I think I, I realized that I didn't want to live my life as a dancer and I now in a, I'm in such awe watching any of the dancers up there on stage if I go to the ballet myself. So I think um, even if it felt like I left it now, th- then, and I, I thought, no, I want to act instead, with, you know, throughout the years I've realized that it's, that's all, already what I did in ballet school. I realized already then that what I enjoyed the most was the emotion that I wanted to bring to each movement and how, how I kind of, how, even if it was an abstract piece, I always started with whatever emotional story mm-hmm. I had in my head trying to get those movements out. So it was always there. And they're very connected, I think. That's so interesting. And I guess let's just put this in some context. In Sweden, it's not a huge film industry, right, at all. And there's not many people who have gone on to careers from Sweden internationally, right? Everybody knows, I guess, Garbo and Bergman and yeah. recently Numi Rapaz, but not a lot of people, right? No, I think in one way Numi was probably like the first um, example that I had really seen in in my life growing up it, it was almost like that wasn't even a it wasn't even a thought that you could do it because I mean Garbo and Ingrid Bergman that it's was been a just while. That, that, and that was also like you know that I read that in the history right. books in school <laughs> and it felt like a fairy tale you know so what was the greatest ambition that you could allow yourself to have well my dream was that I I Maybe wanted to be on. I wanted to be at the Royal Theatre mm-hmm. and do and do plays, mm-hmm. and then to be one of those actresses who could then maybe every second or third year do some good, um, 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 interesting feature film or being in a um, um, a more in-depth TV series. Mm-hmm. That was kind of um, the peak of what I um, of what I dreamed of. Was it sort of just to cover your bases and make sure that you had a fallback option that you applied to law school? Of course, by watching my mom, I've, I've been able to, like, been attracted to this whole world. I've seen her passion, but she's always also wanted me to know and introduce me to see how tough it is. It's hard to get work, and it's long hours, and it's a, it's, it's a, you need to have the passion, but it's a, a tough profession. Mm-hmm. Then when I didn't get into um, theatre school, for me, it was that thing of... The unsurety of living in a small country where there's not much work, I thought that the way to do it is to go to theatre school and then through that get a chance to get into um, um, one of the big operas or theatres. Mm-hmm. So I, I still had found out that I really loved filmmaking and had made several shorts uh, during the, those two, three years when I had applied to um, uh, theatre school mm-hmm. and w- worked with friends and I th- met a lot of people in the theatre and in the film world who were producers and I asked them what their background was and and all of them, most of them said that they had been through law and that that was what they had done at university So, and then I think like any 19 year old, like I didn't really know I was like right. what am I going to do now <laughs> I, thought, I thought I quit ballet to try that, that didn't work apparently but I'm so so. It's that thing of trying to reach. I think you know that's how it is to be a late Just teenager. Out, yeah. yeah, and and I was like, I, university sounds like a good thing, right. uh, <laughs> and 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 I I I, I liked to read, so I, I got in and thought that that, and I think also that's something that I still feel like, and I think it's a good thing, also in acting to always be open. Do other things yeah. because it's also there that you gather experience and meeting people that you maybe haven't met before in your little circle to always gather you with more tools to be able to do what I 
love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I forget if it was Strasberg or somebody was like, you can't have a life on screen if you don't have a life off screen. So it seems like it's important to have things to draw from. But for you, it all really seems to have started to change with the movie Pure. Is that my pronounce? Is that correct? <laughs> well, uh, the, the real pronunciation is Till det som är vackert. Oh, okay. Right. So that's, I, a I'm not even <laughs> that's the Swedish title, right. which is not just a translation of that word. It's right. a, big, a longer sentence. A longer thing. So this is a movie that was perhaps not seen widely outside of the country, but was really well received there and you received the Swedish equivalent of the Best Actress Oscar and it was a complex character I guess your first lead in a film why was that so important? my first feature first feature yeah (laughs) yeah so what did you take away from the experience of doing it and how much did it change things afterwards a lot I was actually on the phone with Lisa Langsett the writer and director just two days ago we did also a second film in Sweden together and I hope to work with her again Um, uh, and she was a great role model I would say I was reading but she was only beginning of her 30s and uh, she had written an extremely brave quite daring script and I don't think in Sweden I had I think as a young girl I just hadn't seen a lot of roles in TV or films you know in general in the big aspect in the world to see such a raw quite dirty and gritty and complex young girl character and I think I kind of saw it I got terrified and excited reading it because I kind of thought that this might it's hard to say but I had a weird feeling of feeling that I was going to go somewhere else start school and I was like maybe this this is this might be just the role where I could you can actually show a lot right it's a lot of range in this part and I think she took me into five auditions oh my gosh she just (laughs) yeah I mean she knew that I hadn't really done any feature films and she just wanted to be sure we've talked about this and she was really (laughs) tough Um, and but she also said that apparently I I was able to progress because I hadn't worked with film in that sense so I I think she wanted to take me in and see how much I could learn so in one way that was now when I haven't been to school my work has been of course my my way of of getting experience can you just tell folks a little bit about this character this young woman that you played um she's a woman who's kind of lower middle class who's had a mum who has um a bit of a well psychological issues and grown up and haven't have finished high school doesn't really have any job is kind of outside of the society and um, um, and one day this is just told in the beginning she has been on YouTube and she mostly just are aware of pop culture and hip hop and on YouTube she comes across a piece of Mozart which it's a way it's a certain high culture that she's never been exposed to and she just has a bit of a religious experience almost and she's just now she's found a way from her dirty background she feels to something more beautiful yeah. and she, she tells a bit of a white lie to get a job as a receptionist at the concert hall and then it's a cast journey and becomes a bit of a thriller yes as well. yes now could you have been happy if your career had at that point remained forever after in Scandinavia or was it always important to you to see what you could do beyond nope. there? I didn't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> my dream was still then to work. I mean, I remember that I had some calls or my wish was still to get on stage. Right. Um, it was not until maybe a year after that when my, um, and that was for a Danish film. So that was for me, like taking the big international <laughs> step. My um, agent called me and said that I, I was going to try for this Danish film. I thought it was a mistake because, of course, I didn't know Danish. <laughs> uh, and then around that time, I guess it's because of internet too. This mm-hmm. is also realizing, I think, I've seen a change. Knew me kind of broke the seal and mm-hmm. make open it up. But it feels like the entire, not every, I mean, every industry is becoming more global and then the film industry too and because of um, uh, tools and, um, and 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 the ability of uploading things online like she told me that I could do a self-tape and I had only gone to auditions in a room with a casting director and reading in front of a camera and I didn't know that you could do that and I was like and you can actually send it to another <laughs> country in English right, right. so that was like a whole I, I didn't know that that was 
possibility before that. I've heard a funny story, if you wouldn't mind sharing, about this first exposure to America. <laughs> because the part didn't pan out, but it was still a memorable experience. And this was Snow White and the Huntsman? Yes. The casting director had seen Pure and had a little, um, I think, audition. So I came to London. Uh, and I was just there for a day and did a shoot. And I remember that I sat on a, a Starbucks and I got a call. People thought that I was in a breakup with my boyfriend or something because <laughs> I cried so much. And that was because they told me, like, in three days, you're going to get on a flight to L.A. <laughs> and I'd never been. I'd never been on, like, a business class flight. I was, like, calling my friends and family the whole way. I arrived here. I was at the um, Hilton close to Universal oh, yeah. and I remember that I was looking down and I was like mom I'm actually not going to the the, the fun park like, I'm going to go to the other side I'm going to go into the actual studio tomorrow and I called and I was like I had to show my passport four times just to get in uh, and I, I even took a photo of my like um the the, the the pass that you get, yeah. the universal pass. <laughs> to get on the line. Yeah, I yeah. have that still right. somewhere saved as a photo. And I thought, you know, I kind of just in my head, I was like, this is just too crazy. And at least I got to go to this, do this screen test. And it was about 60, 70 people in the crew, which oh is God. for a casting, yeah. that is more than what we have in a crew. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, back that's, home. That's and I was like, so I was like, it feels like I'm pretending. It's like, I can tell this to my grandkids. So the feeling of how it how it felt to be in Hollywood <laughs> for a day. But Britain was more easily accessible, right? Who was it that brought you the attention of Joe Wright? Because the one that happened next, I think, was Anna Karenina. Um, yeah, I I was shooting, um, yeah, I just finished a, a Royal Affair. And just before that, or during that, I had been in London, and he had mm-hmm. seen, he had seen Pure. And because it had one of those from that went to film festivals yeah, yeah. and had been around a bit, but just in very much the, the you know cinema world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he had seen that, and I had met him while shooting a royal affair uh, on a little chat. Um, and I remember that I walked in and watched him in the edit doing the last scene of Hannah, and I thought it was so cool. <laughs> that action sequence is right. really amazing. Right. Just the fact that it was, they were editing in a theater. Mm-hmm. I'd only seen mm-hmm. like you do it on a small right, screen. Right, right. So I was like, this is how they do it. <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was so, and I was so nervous, but we talked about the book and I don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's sweet now because he's, you know, I met Joe a few weeks ago and I mean, I was just, I choked a lot to be able to talk in English then. And Cause this and, was your first English language yeah, film. I had already got Seventh Son by this point. Okay. But that filmed a year. Yeah, it's, it's weird how all, the yeah. order of things happen. But um, but yes, it ended up being the first English film that I shot. And how had you learned English? Everyone in Sweden speaks quite good English because yeah. you learn it in school from okay. like age nine, ten, and we don't dub, so it's a second language that we learn. And then I think because we are exposed to television right, and film, right, right. you hear it. But if you've only stood in class talking for an hour or trying to talk about a subject that you've learned it's not the same thing as trying to be you in a conversation right. and it's almost become so especially what I think when you talk about emotion and about thoughts about work it was a big struggle because you know the complexity of things that I wanted to explain just became like simplified right. in a way that just didn't feel like me right. anymore right. and so I think that was that has been that's the biggest obstacle I think of trying to be get fluent in any language. One last Karenina question was that this concept from when you signed up to when it happened changed significantly, right? I mean, you thought you were going to Russia, from what I understand, right? Yeah, I think we all were, and we were actually. Um, Joe took me because he knew I had a dance background, right. and he asked me if I wanted to join him in his um, Cedar Lobby, who did uh, the choreography in our film, and I came to. Um, um, Amsterdam first with them and we uh, and, and Brussels and we did it like a week of rehearsals and we all were planned to go to Russia and then he was like one morning uh, called my hotel room and was like come down to the garden I'll, I'll have something uh, to show you <laughs> and this was like I don't know 10 weeks before shoot it's cutting it close and then, and then just yeah. to go up to his computer and was like this is now what we're going to do we're just going to not go to Russia anymore and we've done this in two weeks and now we're going to put it all in a theatre and I thought I, I must say I thought it was an extremely brave and, and interesting 
uh, and, and and wonderful decision because it's been some several adaptations and they had even found themselves in Russia going to sets and they were like yeah it's already three Anna Kreninas that has already been shot here <laughs> and <laughs> right. so I, I, I going was, back to Garbo right yeah I love that dad to put it um in a very different world and sure. context. So if doing a film in English was a challenge, how about doing a film in Danish? I mean, yeah. Royal Affair, you get the role despite the fact that you've never spoken at that time this language. No, I had. Actually, my, my, my friend in Sweden, his mom is um, Danish-Swedish. Okay. So um, she actually recorded all the lines on her iPhone. So I sat there like, like a parrot trying to just like... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the languages are similar and if you read it um if you read it you get a good sense of being able to get most words but it's just they have a very let me say strange accent (laughs) (laughs) that made me it made it totally impossible for me i'd never been to denmark for to get them we actually spoke english most of the time when i came but then because they are similar to just learn teach my ear to be able to hear the difference and to learn how to just pronounce these <laughs> weird <laughs> sounds myself. Right. Uh, I had about eight weeks in Copenhagen, and it's uh, an amazing and tough language coach. Wow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was the first time that I became aware of you through that film, and I think probably for many people who went on and got this Oscar nomination. And the question that I have is the story itself is apparently known by everyone in Denmark, but outside of Denmark, nobody knows about it. So for you, were you familiar with it already? How did you immerse yourself in it? And, I and, actually yeah. knew about you it. You did. And not because, I mean, everyone in Denmark apparently reads about this in school. And because right. it's probably, I've even had it's like the most exciting story. So the teachers kind of uses three weeks just to, <laughs> you know, um, indulge in all, all right. the details about this story. But it's because it's, it's, um, it's a Swedish author who did a book called The Royal Physician um, that is based on this story that was one of my favorite books and even though it was told from a very like my character Caroline Mathilde is is not described in a, the, the best of ways <laughs> I must say in that it's a much more in from the from the king's perspective right. in his head uh, but I knew about this triangle and about the politics behind it so I knew what a meaty and great story it was when I when I came there for the audition and we're able to find from what I've seen through Amazon some other information that was am- I mean <laughs> that's um, pretty cool yeah, uh, again the Am- Amazon is amazing <laughs> the amount of information and things you right. can find there and it, it was actually Nikolai who called me up like a late night in Copenhagen when I was there prepping he was like go online I found this he had a um um, a professor in Denmark who had given him a tip about this and it was not really a book it was just like a gathering of photocopies that um, a professor in England he had a passion for the, this story with Caroline Matilde, how she left Britain and had over years trying to gather her personal letters that she sent to her family. So suddenly I sat there with this woman who must lived 300 years ago and suddenly when, when you thought that maybe the fear of playing a real-life character was kind of taken away back a bit because it was 300 years ago and right. no one knew her. But suddenly I actually sat there and felt like I got to know her. Mm-hmm. And I was utterly blown away how how it felt like a language that could have been a girl from, from now. Right. And she kind of explained, she first of all, she wrote in four languages at the age of 18. Even I thought that maybe this was a bit of a blue-eyed princess. Mm-hmm. He must have been young and fell in love mm-hmm. with an older man. That's and super. suddenly when I got these letters, I was like, but that's not the case. Yeah. And also how she described how she knew when she left. She was like, I wouldn't shed a tear in front of you, and I, I know that I will never meet you again. And I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to be the Queen of Denmark. And then also that we know how tragic the relationship was mm-hmm. with the king and that she always knew, tries to put it in good perspective for her family mm-hmm. and her letters and they kind of fight to keep up a good facade. Um, and also her expressions of she can't, she couldn't express her enlightened thoughts during right. this time and how she kind of sneaked those in and how also as a woman she described that she wrote to her uncle how she just wished 
that she was a man. She would just go down to the stables and get on a horse and ride down to Europe. <laughs> and I just, you know, it gave me so much, um, you know, meat. Yeah, that. yeah, that's amazing. So we're basically coming up on this crazy year of 2015 that you had, but I want to first ask you something that apparently started, in a sense, the day after you finished Royal Fair, which is that you are the fashion person that people are looking to at the moment. You are photographed everywhere, shown everywhere. But my understanding is that the first time that Couture was sort of in the picture at all was right after Royal Fair. Yeah, I, um, so we were in Czech Republic. Uh, we had finished the shoot, went it up at a, a British very dirty bar called George and the Dragon in Prague. And we stay there to probably 7 a.m. in the morning. And we were going to get on this flight to do some press for the film already the day after. So we actually went straight from the after party to the airport there. Me and my director, Maz, everyone <laughs> sitting, trying to keep our eyes open. Right. But we're thrilled because it was such a fun shoot. Mm. And we were going to, I was going to go to Cannes for the first time in my life. And I was like, finally going to see this. Right. I've only seen photos and pictures. So we arrive and then in the car. And I was like, okay, I'm just, I just need a little nap. I just need to go and sleep. And then they call and said, do you know what? We have um, two tickets um, for the premiere tonight, for the gala premiere. And uh, you and Nikolai can, can go together. Um, and we look at each other like, sure, I'll be your date and you'll be my date. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you, you need to have a tux and a gown. And I was like, well... I, I don't have that. <laughs> you know, that's not in my bag. Right, right. Um, and then actually my my, uh, my now agent, who I'd kind of just met uh, around that time, invited me to go up to the Valentino. Uh, they had a room where all these dresses were. And I remember that they had they asked me what, you know, to, to pick a dress to try. And I just couldn't talk because I was like, I'm just good with anything, you know. <laughs> Do you tell me what right, to wear? Right. And then I got really, so I tried two dresses, and they were like the most pretty things I'd ever seen. I mean, it's you kind of the first time to see it up front and to see kind of the craft and hours to put these little buttons on. And I think it took ten minutes just to get my dress on. Um, and then I actually went to the premiere. And I did the mistake, which I learned from then on. I had a pair of shoes and I took my feet out of them. And then I, the film was over. And I mean, my feet must have grown like two centimeters. <laughs> it was like Cinderella. There was no way my right. heel was going to get back there. And my gown was so long and I felt like, oh my God, maybe they will see me. I can't just lift my gown. So I kind of sat on this little piddle stool and then someone had to run and get new <laughs> shoes for me because I was so embarrassed of like you know be ashamed that they would be ashamed of me walking out of the theater with no shoes on so from those <laughs> humble beginnings has come this side career with uh, fashion on top of all this it's amazing I mean, yeah it's still every time like now and at the side nikolai has clothes right. or any of these amount i mean it's like a piece of art right, right. it really and and then of course I, 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 I'm very privileged I get to wear them one night and then I think actually they go to a museum somewhere <laughs> and being stored and going to probably be right, in an exhibition right. in you know several years obviously there are things that we're going to gloss over here along the way Fifth Estate the Testament of Youth these were important projects but I think that 2015 we just have to kind of you know remind people how now, maybe not all these were shot right next to each other that's not how it always works maybe they were but just to mention Man from Uncle, Burnt, Ex Machina, Danish Girl. I think I am perhaps uh, forgetting. Well, Seventh Son came out. Seventh Son came out in 2015. Yeah, too. it did. Okay, I mean, we thought Jessica Chastain had a lot of movies a few years ago when she had, you know, three or four. But it's got to have been aside from the making of it, and then the promotion of these, and then the release of them, and the whole thing. What has this year been like? If you could kind of just—I think we counted. It's been like sixty-five days of press. So <laughs> are you are you completely year. sick of? If you were doing a shot for every time you said certain words, we were talking about no, this I, last I, night. In one way, I think it's been a bit of a lucky. I don't know because I maybe I, I had the time because some of these films, like even Ex Machina now meeting Alex, it's almost three years ago we won wow, the film for the wow, first wow. time. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. And to know that I, because I didn't have much experience, I kind of was able to gather some and feel without having to step out in a, the big aspect of doing press to the world, I was able to do some 
some proper work and feel like I was finding my feet on the ground a bit and getting, I mean, just, I remember when I walked into those rooms three years ago, I didn't know a soul. Mm -hmm. And it was quite tough going to these pockets. You stood like in a corner with like, I don't know anyone. I bet. And then after just one or two years, so you're like, oh, but these are, some of them are my colleagues now right. and I know them. And it's suddenly another kind of, a bit more of a, a calm that comes with you maybe. And I think maybe it was good that I had I, I had matured and grown into the industry a bit before they actually came came out because it's been very overwhelming. It's been I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah. So let's touch upon these first briefly. Man from Uncle. This was sort of different than anything you'd done before in terms of size and and tone and everything, right? I mean, how did you feel about getting into comedy? Uh, terrifying. <laughs> I think that that's the case with right. most people going into it the first time. And um, uh, well, I, I was a big fan of his previous films, Guy, Guy Ritchie, so I remember I was on a shoot in, um, for a film called Son of a Gun mm -hmm. um, in Australia and I got on the Skype with him and he just, you know, he just wanted to chat. He was such a calm, like, relaxed. He, well, he was the dude that I just <laughs> imagined he would be. Right, right. And that kind of calmed me down because I told him about, I don't know if I can, and are you sure, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, you seem cool. <laughs> and, you know, and that was all that he wanted. It was more about finding a, a good connection. Right. And that actually helped then on set because it was, we got to know each other. Mm. And in that kind of space, suddenly you felt a bit more relaxed and trying sure. things. Yeah. Ex Machina, how does a guy who's never made a film before, Alex Garland, convince you to do his movie? What was it that appealed to you about it? First of all, he's done quite a lot of films, even though he's not been directing. Oh, right. He's been working behind uh, several films, but um, yeah, he's an extraordinary first-time director. Right. Uh, and getting on the phone with him, I was actually there too, filming Son of a Gun in Australia. <laughs> When I had read that script and I was like hyped, I don't think I've, I've ever jumped on a phone to my agents, probably in the middle of the night for them and just said, okay, how I'm here and I can't go to London. And, and I got on the phone with Alex and he's one of the most brightest and intelligent men. And he has such calm to him too. That kind of brings you to think, you, you believe that he knows what he's talking about, mm -hmm. which he is. And he gave you some good notes as far, once you were on the set making this that were important for you about um, Ava? Yeah, I mean, with that role, and I think that's why it's so interesting and why people are engaged is because there's the the questions just never end, and how I could, what I attracted to me. I did a self tape there in Australia for one of the those long scenes mm -hmm. and that I send, and that was just my idea of whatever Ava was because it was a bit of a blank page. It was not too many descriptions. It was just a very very action based great dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was the thing. I think I, I came with thousands of questions like, is she programmed? Is this a thought? Is she, does she have a self-conscious? Does she or not? <laughs> and where do I start? And he was like, well, something came out when you did that self-tape, and it did. Right. It was just like a feeling of trying to find a physicality and, and play around with what my intentions were in that scene. And he kind of almost, we could talk a lot, and we read a lot about, about anything from... AI science to just bio, bio, like brain function and humans and see the differences and likenesses and all that. But it all came down to that he was so much that director who wanted to give me support of trying. He gave, we talked a lot about how to engage, forget, because it's a thriller. Mm -hmm. It's certain beats that you need to get mm -hmm. for it to work because it you know it's a it's um, that genre. So how how to how would you trust this? girl or whatever it is and 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 he gave me a good note when we were rehearsing that when I was trying something which was not playing on the more like sexually or female aspects but on the very pure and innocent ones then just everyone stops questioning her and instead just wants to protect her mm -hmm. so that was that thought kind of made me you know come up with a certain voice and a certain way a certain way to move and we talked about because i realized when i did the physicality that when i made her almost too pristine and too perfect you started to question it even though it was just like very it was nothing wrong a person could move like that right. but because it was so refined people are much more complex and 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 make like um uh, 
you know, mistakes and hiccups, and, and, and that kind of made you think that she was a bit off. I mean, it was things like that. Oh, it's very interesting. And I know that you had an interesting answer. There are some people, because she's sort of, I guess what they call like a Rorschach test or whatever, you project your own thoughts onto her. Some people have come away and said that, oh, the film objectifies women, but you've had a good answer to that, which is that's Nathan. It has to be through his eyes, but that she becomes something else, right? Yeah, and also I, I think that the simple answer to it, it's, it's been wonderful to meet all the journalists coming in. It was almost a shock because I hadn't talked so much about films. Right. People had just seen the film. Right. And some of them came in and, uh, you know, some, some people came in and was like, oh, it's very... Um, um, you know it's, it's not a good view of women and someone else came in like high five and <laughs> thought it was great and it was such different reactions it right. all comes down to do you believe that this thing has consciousness or not if you do then you suddenly could see a young girl trapped in a room by two men and then suddenly the, 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 the idea of the film becomes very different mm-hmm. and I played around myself we never really there's been the endless question from people asking me what was your thought Mm -hmm. or what was she tell me (laughs) and that's also the truth that even me and Alex said let's not talk about that let's keep the ambiguity there even between us that's so interesting so with Danish Girl, when I heard you were doing this, I had to look it up and confirm that you weren't Danish because after a royal affair and this, <laughs> I'm like, a lot of people I started to doubt myself. <laughs> so how did you first hear from Tom Hooper and land this? And then the movie doesn't work if you and Eddie don't have some really special chemistry. And I wonder, before you were cast, was that tested or did it just work out nicely? No, I, um, I had heard about this script for quite a while. I even knew people who had been on board trying to get this film made. Um... Uh, so I had mostly heard about the, like the, in a very distant way about the Lily Elb story. Mm-hmm. So I was on the on, on the tube in London, and I, I read in the newspaper that they had just released the um, news that Eddie Redmayne and Tom Hooper were paired up to do this film, and I was like, finally going to get this film made. I was like, oh my god, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And and then it was just two days after when my my agent called me up and said it's a very good second female role in this and you should have a read so I I did and that led on to me meeting Tom and doing a casting for him I think and leading on to yes I did have um, uh, what they called chemistry chemistry read yeah 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 Uh, (laughs) with (laughs) Eddie Uh, and I mean I I knew he was an extraordinary actor but Eddie is just I mean we had a QA and a yesterday probably one of our last for the film and it was almost a bit sad because he's I've He's such a down-to-earth and, mm-hmm. and one of the most wonderful just human beings. Yeah. So it was so easy to work with him. I think all actors are terrified because in films you sometimes have to walk on set. and You met the person you're going to work with who's going to be your um, lifelong enemy or um, best friend or lover and you need to kind of get that on the <laughs> second day and everyone's just like on their tiptoes and a bit nervous. And I yeah. also now understand why people continue to work again with one another like with Donal it is suddenly a big relief when you already have a language with somebody even if it's very different roles to work but we um, with Eddie was very easy and we also had almost three weeks of rehearsals which is a luxury that I never had and that is all down to Tom He, he really fought for us to have that aside from the script and having a slight familiarity you're saying beforehand with this story what more could you do as far as research and as far as even just being in the mindset during the making of it? I've heard there was even the art came into it in a mm. sense. So maybe you can talk about that. Well, um, it was a bit of a shock for everyone, including me, because I, like most people, knew that. And now if you find something that you're like, wow, how come I didn't know about, first of all, um, um, gender confirmation surgery happening already in the 1920s or 30s and I went online and I thought it was remarkable this love story that these two women had uh, between them and there wasn't that much information a lot of it we also learned was not correct online mm-hmm. probably has changed now thank mm-hmm. God but uh, and, and, and Gail uh, our producer was actually a big Source because she had had years of, in different ways, just gathered as much information that she should. So she had a treasure mm-hmm. of things to look into. And then, of course, um, for me to have a woman who... Um, I was actually at the premiere in Copenhagen just a few days ago wow. for Danish Girl. And they the museum there, it's a new museum called Ark, and had 
um, um, gathered over the last four years from private collections, 170 pieces of her work. So that was what I had been lucky enough to have photocopies of in preparation for this and to kind of get in the soul of somebody um, through their art and also their journey through life is quite obvious when you, when you see their work and also how Lily kind of suddenly came into her life and became such a, a, a such a main uh, piece of her work and 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 also finally I mean her, her art is pretty radical and pretty um, sexual sure. as well and and to know that that was almost a hundred years back and not only what Lily together with her went on their journey but also as a working woman and being an artist and express herself in that way and being they were extremely pioneering mm-hmm. um, so that mixed with trying to get an emotional um, relationship to what they went through even though the people that I could meet going through the similar things people from the transgender community or their friends and family of course trying to put that in a context of it happened a hundred years ago when Gerda asked Einar to pose for the first time as a woman do you think that there's any chance that she consciously or subconsciously already suspected that Lily existed under there I think what drew me to this film the most was the love story that seems so I mean, it felt like these two were almost soulmates. And I can just, that's my own relation. You know, if you really think that you have a deep love for somebody, you also have a deeper understanding of of seeing Mm -hmm. that person. And now we again need to go back to that this is in a time when there's no reference of this. And that itself is amazing to know that they actually did go on this journey, not even having a language of really trying to explain Mm -hmm. to each other what they're going through. and what I loved was something that Lucinda has already put in the script because I think she was a struggling artist and it was she she found started to find her like muses muses her women and including Lily and Ulla and that's also when she started to become much bigger and quite successful and both Denmark and later on in Paris and I love the idea of um, I saw her work and she does all these kind of. Um, um, portraits of people in the beginning but then when she starts to find her style is also when she starts to become very interesting and I think with any artist whatever you do when you really find your truth then people kind of seize that Mm -hmm. and I love the fact that Lily kind of just started to come through her paintings and it's almost like that that's the subconscious that we have including me coming out in the art that I do and sometimes I'm surprised what I find making up my stories and I was like oh that was close I didn't know that I had that inside of me mm-hmm. but it's apparently just been there and I so I kind of used that so I think that I felt like she probably for her also to always be so understand I think she had a deeper sense of knowing mm-hmm. the person that she loved and the fact that she stayed with <laughs> Lily after Einar became Lily is a testament yeah. to that. It was not until the last year when, when the last surgery had, uh, one of the last surgeries has, had gone through when, when their marriage kind of, um, what's the word for it in English? Separated or, yeah. Canc- uh, it was, it was, yeah, dissolved yeah. because she was now a woman. Right. This movie has come out into a world that is already different from when you made it with Caitlyn Jenner and Transparent and it's sort of the issue is top of mind for everybody now but your own situation has changed a lot since when you started to make this movie. You're now increasingly somebody that people know or recognize, and with that comes good things and bad things. It sounds like you've gotten wonderful next projects coming up. Maybe on the other hand of things, you maybe get photographed when you don't want to sometimes or ask questions that you don't want to answer sometimes. I imagine that it's changed things a lot. So basically, what's your state of mind here You know, as this season of insanity winds to an end and you are now an Oscar nominee and I imagine life's probably forever different yeah I mean I, I, it's interesting being out here because still when I'm back in Europe it feels first of all I've been working so much so maybe I just haven't been out much right. but there I feel like I'm still very much like let her, I don't really feel like I'm recognized it's a bit different in this city right. I think because of the work but of course I I I knew when I knew that it was several films going to come out this year and you never know what they're going to turn out to be or how they're going to work I didn't hadn't seen many of them in final um, um, uh, the final version uh, so it all depends on how, how they go and how, how they work But so I think I in one way thought that I was somewhat prepared of 
knowing, of course, that I was going to do a lot of press and what, whatever that means. But I think it was a bit of a shock because it is something so quite, you know, surreal and unreal. And, and it's also difficult for you to kind of, for yourself, wanting to pin out if something felt not a bit strange if someone took a photograph of you and you actually didn't notice it was a friend who told you two days later that when you were walking that street that day someone there watching you and even it's sometimes it's that it was hard to kind of feel comfortable even talking about that that was an issue because I mean what I'm doing is beyond anything I would have ever dreamed of and this is kind of also part of it strangely enough mm -hmm. so it's it's that Momentum, you know, it's 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 it's. I I think I'm still trying to get used to it. The good the good thing is that I've seen, I've been working with some amazing both filmmakers and actors and people in this industry who seem like they have a, they have a good way of, having um, if some yeah, talking about this sometimes when you say oh I I I just have a normal life but that's what you kind of when you wake up in the morning and you meet your friends that still is right. the same. Um, and then, of course, going out in the world and doing the, the work and go to these parties is something that I've never done before. And that, to me, still feels very foreign, but also extremely wonderful. So I would guess, though, that your parents and your friends and your people that you know of and, and you yourself should probably feel very proud of where things have ended up so far, right? The coolest thing is to be able to kind of experience things with your family yeah. and friends. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I have my brother just here now he came a few days ago with me and he's never been to the states um so that was you know cool just take him on a trip and we went to uh, so 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 that that's that's also when because this job a lot of the time especially in the beginning when i didn't know so many people it's very lonely mm -hmm. so sometimes you also felt like it was so many like stories or experience I was beyond anything I could have thought or didn't really know what it was but I, I kind of turned my head everywhere <laughs> looking for someone that I could like freak out with right, right. or talk to and like oh my god right, right, you know right. what's happening and then you were kind of by yourself on a lot of journey traveling and hotel rooms and and work and, and that was um, I think it was also a big fear when I went that my my friends and people that they were just gonna forget weird thing to say but I guess that's like the biggest fear for people of being lonely of mm -hmm. being like I'm gonna go away and do this but will everything back home be the same because you kind of want that mm -hmm. base I think um, and and they were so sweet and said of, of course things are not and then after one two years I kind of realized that um, you can go back to Sweden or to London and my my friends and my people are that, that that's still intact and still the same well, thank you so much for doing this, and it's been fun getting to cross paths yeah. over the season. Thank and you. It's always fun making these longer interviews. Yes. Have a little chat. Well, I really <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 